This sermon, The Glorious Consequences of Conversion, was preached by Derek Overstreet on April 24, 2022 at Sovereign Grace Church, Tucson. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 31 this morning. We'll read the text and pray and then get into it. Acts 9, verse 10, Luke continues to tell the story of the early church. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. At that, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who call upon his name? And has he not come here for this very purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him And how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Maybe seated. Please pray with me. Lord, this is your word. 
cause it to bear fruit in our hearts. Enlighten our minds, Holy Spirit. Grant us the gift of illumination that we might understand your word, that we might know who you are in a greater way through your word, and that we might live according to what you have for us in your word. Lord, we humble our hearts before you right now, and we ask, Holy Spirit, come and have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, many of you know, but uh, last fall, I think it was October, I had the privilege of going on a nice motorcycle ride with some of the guys from the church, Tom and Mark McGee, Ken Lotz. You know Lynn Baird. Uh, he came down, for, he joined us from Phoenix. He's part of our Gilbert Church. He just retired as a pastor in Pasadena. But in October, we had a wonderful motorcycle ride. Five days, southern Utah, Zion National Park, Bryce Canyon. I, I can't tell you all the amazing places that we went. Uh, the roads were great. The scenery was amazing. We met so many people. Listen, motorcycles are a lot like dogs, only way better. They attract people. I know I did. Thus the emphasis on way. I'm discipling. We even got to share the gospel. At, our, at the steakhouse we ate at one night, praying that somehow, some way, the Lord used that or will and bring her to salvation. But as wonderful as the ride was for all of those reasons, the greatest thing about our time together was every night at the end of the day, we checked into our hotel and we headed off to a good steakhouse. We ate good food, and every night somebody shared their testimony. I, that was my favorite part of the motorcycle ride, and it had nothing to do with motorcycles. Who, who doesn't love to hear a good conversion story? There's nothing I'd rather hear about you I'm sure there's lots of good things I could you could tell me about yourself, but there's nothing I'd rather hear about you than how God mercifully and graciously broke into your heart in an irresistible way as you were running your hell-bound race indifferent to the cost. And you know what else I love hearing? I love hearing about not only your conversion but the consequences of your conversion. And when I use that word, I don't mean it in the negative senses as we tend to think about that word, but how your life has now necessarily changed because Christ is now in you. I call it a divine cause and effect. The consequences of your conversion. When the Savior of glory takes hold of you, there will necessarily be glorious changes in you. I love hearing about that too. The last time we were in Acts a few weeks ago, we, we watched on as the Apostle Paul encountered the risen Savior 
and his life was changed forever. People believe it's our text today where Paul was saved. I believe it was the road to Damascus when Paul was actually saved. But regardless, what we see as we sat in on Paul's conversion a few weeks ago, the man who was once the great persecutor of the church is about to become the great propagator of the gospel to the ends of the earth. The, the conversion of Saul is really the greatest conversion story ever told. And while the circumstances of Paul's conversion were certainly unique, I don't think anybody who was riding a horse down Ina Road and got knocked off in a blaze of glory, unless you're Bon Jovi, that went over a bunch of people's heads. So while his conversion was unique, there are two consequences of his conversion that are universal to us all, and they surface in this text, and they will be our focus this morning. So if you're taking notes, you like the outline structure, the first point this morning is the first consequence that we see, and that is that, that Paul saw then, the moment he was converted, he had a new purpose. He had a new purpose for his existence. This morning, we, we meet a man named Ananias. We, we don't know much about Ananias, but Luke introduces him in verse 10. All we really know is what we have here, uh, and, and, and you can go to Acts 22, verse 12, where we see that Ananias was a devoted disciple of Jesus, and he was well-respected by others. That said, his, his role was brief and really limited to what we know in the early days of Paul's faith, but we cannot, as brief as it was, we, we cannot overstate it. In fact, I promise you that by the time we leave today, we are going to love Ananias. He is going to be our friend. We, we are going to be wanting to know more about Ananias. We are going to be thanking God for Ananias, and we will be asking God to make us like Ananias for very good reason, as we will find out. Now, in verses 10 through 12, did you notice as we read it, Jesus actually instructs Ananias through a vision to go minister to Saul, who is now Paul. He, he himself, Jesus said, had a vision of a man named Ananias that would come to him and lay his hands on him and pray. And I love, how, I love the way verse 11 reads. Uh, he says, go look for a man named Saul. And notice in verse 11, he says, for behold. Now, when, for behold, pay attention. That means what comes next is really important. What comes next I, even might be a bit surprising. For behold, Saul, in essence, he says, check it out. The man who just a few days ago was breathing out murderous threats against Christ is now breathing out prayers and praises to Christ. Just pause for a Let's not move over that too quickly. I, Luke could have just said, or Jesus just could have said, go to Saul, he's seen a vision. 
But Jesus says, and behold, he's praying. He's praying. That must have caught Ananias' attention. I'm sure Ananias thought, well, he's probably praying the way he's always prayed, not to a living Savior, but to the God of the Old Testament Bible. Now, if you look at verse 13, it's clear that Ananias has heard of Saul. He, he's heard that, that Saul is not a good dude. But notice, notice his response in verse 10. He says, or excuse me, is it verse 10? It, yeah, in verse 10 he says, Here I am, Lord, a ready, a willing, and able servant. The moment, though, the moment in verse 13 and 14 that he finds out that this is Saul... He says, wait a minute, Lord, in verse 13 and 14. Here I am, Lord. You need me to go somewhere? You need me to minister to somebody? Absolutely. Okay, go find this man named Saul of Tarsus. What, what? Who? Hold on. And we're, we're going to come back to verses 13 and 14. We'll come back to Ananias' fear for a moment. Right now, I want to draw attention to what actually compelled Ananias to go. He was, I'll go. He was, hold on. And then he was, okay, I'll go. What, what would compel him to suddenly go to Saul despite the risk that that would be for him? Look at verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go. I, I'm so grateful that the Lord is gracious and merciful. He could have just said, just go. Just trust me. And that would be enough. But he explains to Ananias in his fears, in his hesitations. He says, go. For he, that is Saul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Ananias, go. I know what you've heard about Saul of Tarsus. Go. I have chosen him. He is my vessel. He's an instrument in my hands to bear my name, to make me known, to tell others who I am and what I have done for them. In my life and death and resurrection, I have chosen him to tell the Jews. That's why Paul went into the synagogues when he entered a new town. I have chosen him to go before kings. We see that as the book of Acts wraps up. There is Paul standing before the king. I have chosen him to bear my name to the Gentiles. And above all, by the way, Gentiles, that's you and I. Above all, that's exactly what we see unfolding in the book of Acts. So just pause here for a moment. I wonder if Ananias was temporarily undone in worship. He's heard of Saul of Tarsus. He explained it there in in verse 13, or in verse, uh, I'm sorry, in verse, yeah, 13. He's an evil man. 
He does evil things. And not just in general, he does evil to your people, which I am one of. And you've chosen him? He's going to bear your name? That is to go proclaiming the saving power of Christ and him crucified? He's an instrument in your hands. He'll suffer for you. And by the way, not as payback. Ananias must have come to some moment where he realized God has done a work in Saul's heart. This is not the Saul of Tarsus that I've heard about. This is not the one where the rumors are swirling through the streets. He is on his way to Damascus. Could you imagine the Ukraine right now hearing about the Russians? They're on their way. I saw the convoy. We've got to get out of here. How long to get to Poland? I mean, that's happening right now. Imagine Ananias. No, I heard he's on his way to my town. He's almost here. And you want me to do it? No, he is here, actually, according to the text. Yeah, he's here. I brought him here. He's my chosen instrument. Now go to him. Ananias had to come to a point where he thought, Lord, what have you done? In Acts 13, we find Paul is sent off with Barnabas, and the rest of Acts is about Paul taking the gospel to the Jew and, above all, the Gentile through preaching Christ and planting churches. But we don't have to wait to chapter 13 because we see this new purpose. We see this new purpose of Paul. Once he was the great persecutor of the church, now he will be God's instrument. Now he will build churches and plant churches and proclaim Christ in and through the churches. But it happens immediately. Did you notice verse 20? This new purpose unfolds immediately. In verse 20, Luke says that immediately, he uses that word, immediately. In other words, following the events of verse 18 and 19a, immediately Saul began proclaiming Jesus as the Son of God in the synagogues. Look down at verse 22. Immediately he began to confound the Jews by proving that Jesus was the Christ. In verse 28, this is not immediately, there's some time that has went by, I'll explain that in a moment, but in verse 28, he he preached boldly in the name of the Lord. He wasn't hunting down the saints. He was out preaching gospel so that God would create saints. Here's the point. Paul's unique conversion that we saw a few weeks ago reminds us of a universal consequence. The moment you are saved, you are a new person with a new purpose, and nowhere do we see that more clearly in Scripture, perhaps, than the Apostle Paul himself right here. It's tempting for us to to think of the Christian life as a makeover, or a remodel. It's not. It's a redo. It's a redo. 
Conversion isn't an addition to my life. It isn't an improvement of my life. It's a replacement of your old life that comes with an entirely new purpose. Do you remember what this same man, Saul of Tarsus, would write later to a church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5? Therefore, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You're not a better and improved version of the old you. (laughs) You are new. The old has passed away, Paul says. Behold, the new has come. This weekend we had I won't, I won't name his name, but we had a pastor. It wasn't Tim and it wasn't Tom, although they both could have worn this shirt. We had a guy wearing a shirt. It's called Old Guy's Rule. You ever seen that? Old Guy's Rock. Well, his said rule. Yours could say rock because you fit in the club. Right? Old Guy's Rule. I think it's actually a clothing line. He was proudly wearing that T-shirt. Old Guy's Rule. Well, it didn't for him, but that could represent some bad theology, right? (laughs) The moment we're saved by grace, we we are a new creation. And as new people in Christ, we have a new purpose that comes with new priorities that that are driven by new desires that are motivated by the Holy Spirit instead of self and put there in our hearts by the very hand of God. What gets you up in the morning is no longer fickle and fleeting pursuits that we see all around us in this world. It's the glory and the praise of God as we get this, because this is stunning, as we bear the name of Jesus and enjoy him in all that we do and say wherever it is that we go. We have an imminent example of this today. Tim mentioned the April offering. And you're a generous church. I know a lot of you will be giving. Who does that? Who sells stock to give to a church? Who empties half their savings in a down economy to half the church? Who does that? What kind of person does that? Who looks at their bank account and says, honey, we could really use that. Yeah, but I'm feeling led to participate in the offering with that. The Lord will provide. Who does that? No one, no one in their human nature, but a new creation in Christ, new purpose, new desires, New priorities. Listen, be encouraged this morning. If you're in Christ, you are a new creation. Let that glorious reality sink in and have its effect so that it might compel you 
to ask the Spirit to search your heart. I love what Jesus said. Don't, 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 put, old, don't put new wine in old, in old wineskins. It doesn't work. Well, this morning, don't allow the old guy's T-shirt to characterize your heart. I just asked the Lord this week, I said, Lord, where, where, am, I, where am I wearing the old guy rules T-shirt on my heart? And I'm not talking about indwelling sin, that old man lingering around in your heart. I, I'm talking about knowingly holding on to those humanistic patterns, those worldly values and beliefs that rule you. It's the old man ruling you. Paul says, that's not you. Put off that old man, as he says in Ephesians 4, and put on the new man, for you are a new creation. I heard a theologian one time say, just be who you've already become. You are a new creation. You have been given in the, in the miracle of regeneration that it is the Holy Spirit's work that leads to salvation. You've been given a new heart inclined to Jesus Christ irresistibly. It's a new heart that loves the Lord. The work of sanctification that is being changed every day by day into the image of Jesus, that work is beating back that old man who wants to keep creeping up. And it's a hard task. It's an impossible task. But with the Spirit, with the Spirit, we can walk in the newness of who we are in Christ. We can give ourselves this new purpose that we have in Jesus. We see it the moment Saul is converted. New purpose. New priorities. He turns immediately from destroying the church to building the church for the glory of God. What does that look like in your life today? Second thing that we see here is that the consequence of Paul's conversion was not only that he had a new purpose, but he had a new purpose family. He had a spiritual family. He had what we like to call the ultimate family. You'll notice in verse 13, Ananias, we covered this earlier, he pushed back on the Lord's instruction to go to Saul because he had heard all the evil that Saul was doing to the church. So understandably, go pray. Don't we, don't we have Saul right where we want him, Lord? <laughs> He's blind. That makes him pretty ineffective. You know, I, it's hard to really grasp Ananias here. And I want us to try before we go any further because this is a really important point. I, it wouldn't surprise me if Ananias was praying for Saul, but he was praying, he was praying the imprecatory Psalms. There might have been part of him rejoicing when he heard that Saul was blind. What Jesus is asking Ananias and Ananias to listen, this is, this is like going and embracing Hitler. Osama bin Laden. More relevant, Putin. 
evil men. Humanly speaking, this was suicide for Ananias. And utter nonsense. Humanly speaking. But as we said earlier, after hearing of the grace and mercy of God that has come to this sinner. Ananias obeys the Savior and embraces him. Look what happens in verse 17. Oh, I love this. I wish I would have just preached this. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Wait for it. Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. There is so much going on here. Ananias, in obedience to the Lord, lays his hands on Saul. He prays for Saul. Saul is healed of his blindness. He is filled with the Spirit. And then he gets up and doesn't even eat first. He professes his faith publicly through water baptism. Hallelujah, right? But I want to draw your attention to something else Ananias does in verse 17. That moment, the first thing Ananias says to Saul, he says, brother. That, that, that's I'm dumbfounded by that in my, in my natural mind. Brother. It, it's a term of unity. Of partnership. Partnership. Most of all, intimacy. Think about this. We don't know this for sure, but if we follow the storyline, brother may have been the first word Saul heard come off a Christian's lips. Let's not forget what Saul is doing. He is in the middle of a massacre journey. He, he is out to destroy the church. Imagine how welcoming, how heartening, how assuring this must have been to Saul to be called brother by the very man he is hunting down. You came all the way to me to do what? You just called me what? We talk, we've been talking in Acts. One of the things that we see is, you know, what, what, why, why is there seem in the book of Acts to be, there, 
they're saved and then they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Doesn't, doesn't the scriptures teach us that the moment we're saved, we're filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, yes, it does. But remember, remember, there's a new covenant, old covenant thing that is, that, 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 that is being dismantled in the book of Acts. In a unique way, the Spirit comes to ensure that person and those in the church already that indeed a genuine work of God has taken place. I know this is a Gentile. I know this is an Ethiopian eunuch, but they've been filled with the Spirit. It's real. They've been included. They've been brought in. Don't you see that promise in chapter 1, verse 8? Happening before your eyes, the gospel will go from the walls of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria, even into Africa, to the ends of the known world. How kind of God. For potentially the first words that he hears from now a fellow believer is, brother, not, you're not going to do anything to me, right? Brother. It's so easy to read over that, but don't. Underline brother, and then pause, and realize that in Christ, the man who was public enemy number one of the church has become a beloved brother in the church. In Christ, the arch enemy of the church is now a church member. As one German theologian said, in Christ, the wolf has become a lamb. So it is with all of us at one time. And perhaps so it is with you right now. You don't know Christ. You're in here or you're out there watching on. And you say, I, I don't know how God could forgive me. I don't know how I could ever be a brother or a sister in Christ. Well, you can't on your own. Did you notice as we read in, verse, uh, in Jesus' instructions, he said, for I have chosen him. He is mine I, ha I have made him an instrument. I will send him. He will bear my name. He will suffer for my name. In other words, God is the primary character here. He is the one doing all the activity. Saul is not, is not now a brother because he deserves to be a brother. He is a brother because Christ has acted on his soul. Forgiven his sins. Filled him with his spirit. Imputed the, his own righteousness to his account for that day when he will stand in judgment before a holy God and give account. And we see this, this being brought into this new family, this in gospel intimacy, it's littered throughout the following verses. Verse 19, we see immediately Saul spent time fellowshipping with the disciples in Damascus. I wonder what those conversations were like. In verse 23, it says, the many days that had passed. By the way, that phrase is probably a reference to the time that, that Saul sent, or sent, that Saul spent in uh, Arabia, what I call a three-year pastor's retreat. He, Paul actually references what, where he was 
in that time frame in Galatians 1, verses 17 through 18. In verse 25, we see that the disciples even put their lives on the line for Saul, helping him escape an assassination plot. In verse 26, we find him later in Jerusalem. Some, some disciples were still afraid of him, but, but like Ananias, we're, now we see Barnabas. And Barnabas takes Saul and he embraces him. And once again, he brings him into the family fold. Notice what it says in verse 26. And when he come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they're all afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas, Barnabas was another Ananias. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. There's Barnabas defending, standing alongside his brother. No, guys, you don't understand. What you've heard about him, it's no more. He's one of us. Christ is in him. The Lord is at work. All this to say, Saul's conversion gave him a new purpose and a new family. You know, the story doesn't go that Saul gets converted and then off he goes, doing his own thing. He was a shaker and a mover. Just read Philippians 3. Saul was, he could go out and do his thing. What we see immediately is he is part of this new family. He's with the disciples. There's an intimacy. Even the way he's addressed, the first time he is addressed as a believer is a term that communicates family. The very ones he hunted down like dogs, he now fellowshiped with. They protected and defended him. They labored with him in the gospel. They embraced him as a brother in Christ. Such is the power of the gospel that not only reconciles us to God, but according to Ephesians 2, reconciles us to one another because we have the greatest common bond in the universe. Sinners saved by grace. Christ. Such is the wisdom of God in his plan of salvation. We, we don't understand it. But I love the way the great hymn writer, William Cowper, said 1,700 years later, God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. I wonder if Ananias thought of that line as he encountered Saul for the very first time. Listen, Acts 9 is about Paul's conversion and the early years of his ministry. But we can't ignore the power and wisdom through the role of others in his conversion and commissioning and propagating of the gospel in history. We can't come to this text, we can't come to Saul's conversion without thanking God for Ananias, without thanking God for Barnabas. It is Christ who saved Saul, but God works through means, and it is through these men that God welcomed this madman into his 
family. Just, just imagine how different church history would have been if they had not. We've heard about you. We want nothing to do with you. I don't care what they say. You're a Christian, you're not a Christian, it doesn't matter to me. What you've done, you're going to have to earn it. You, 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 you killed my brothers and sisters. You hunted, you hunted my family down like a dog. They didn't because they had a new purpose. And that was to proclaim Christ to every sinner that they could and to embrace those who God did save. I love what John Stott says. He says, there is an urgent need for Ananias' and Barnabas' who overcome their scruples and hesitations and take the initiative to befriend newcomers. I love that. He's speaking to me. And Paul's conversion is a reminder. God can save anyone at any time. And if that's true, and it is, if God can and does save anyone at any time, then like Ananias and Barnabas, we must be ready to receive anyone he saves at any time. Not because they earned it, not because they know how we do Christianity, not because they talk like us, not because they act like us, but because God acted on them in Jesus Christ. He brought them into his family. Will they look different? Absolutely. Will they think different? Sure. Will they have stories and experiences that will make you cringe? You bet. You want some of those? Buy me lunch. I'll share some with you from my own life. But God is the one who's creating his family, who is building this church. He's the one like Saul, who's made all of us graciously apart. And in the wisdom and power of God, this is just one way the gospel is unstoppable. Because he works through his church. He works through you. Listen, if you're visiting this morning, I thank God this message is not corrective for our church. If you stick around here for any time, you will experience a genuinely welcoming and loving church. I guarantee it. But no one is immune from forgetting it's the gospel that matters above all. It's like Mr. Stott said, it's easy for us it's easy for us to get hung up on our personal scruples, preferences, and convictions about how we should live the Christian life or what a Christian should look like. It's easy. We all do it, don't we? We all do it if we're honest. It's easy to do. And, and, and when we do that, in effect... We're relating to one another in a way that declares, listen, if you want to be my brother, you need Jesus plus I need you to dress a certain way. If you want to be my sister, then, I need, then you need Jesus. Certainly, you need the gospel. 
The gospel is what qualifies anyone to be part of the family of God. But you also, you also need to abstain from certain things. You need to homeschool your kids. You need to not go to certain movies. You need to forget about the tattoos. We can all, we can all have these little things that just subtly, subtly we, we put on people and we're, we're afraid to hang with them because we heard a story. We don't want our kids being influenced too much. And so I might go out with that dad, but boy, their family's not coming over. I don't want those kids around my kids. Here's a question. Is there someone in this church you're hesitating to embrace because of their past or current lifestyles? You know what I love about hearing people's testimonies? And I tell you, don't hold anything back on your testimony. <laughs> I want to hear the dirt. You hear somebody's testimony, you learn about their past. Don't let that hinder you. Cause it to manifest great celebration to say, oh my, <laughs> how powerful is the gospel? <laughs> how amazing that God's love would break through that. You deserve to be here just as less as I do but I'm glad you're here. Is there someone in this church you're hesitating to embrace because of their past or current lifestyles? And listen, I, I want to be clear that this is not about being best friends with everyone in the room. It's about seeing Christ in others above all things. That's what Ananias saw. You did what, Jesus? He belongs to you. Let's go. He didn't suddenly and magically forget everything he had learned about Saul. He realized God had acted on him. He belonged to God. Therefore, he was his brother in Christ. I want to learn more to see the unfailing love and the undeserved mercy of God in those around me, beginning with this church, beginning with the newcomer, beginning with the person who walks in here and doesn't look like me, doesn't talk like me. God brought him here for a reason. And if Christ is in them, I am called to embrace them. And I can in the power of the Spirit. The church is the gospel family. Doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been. You come here, you're in Christ, and God has you here. 
so that we can forgive one another, so that we can worship with one another, so that we can suffer with one another, cry with one another, carry one another's burdens, encourage one another, help one another in the Lord. Live this amazing life that we now have in Christ as a new creation with new purpose out with our new family. What do you see most in your fellow believer? Today we have a guest luncheon where we will be encouraging visitors to become members of this church. And in a few weeks we'll have a new member Sunday. And as they stand up here to say, I believe God has called me to make this church my church, you know what the call to you is? Embrace them. Embrace them. God has made them part of our church family. So pray for our luncheon today and heed these words as we close in light of our text today. Derek Thomas says this, praise God for the willingness of Ananias to go and see Saul of Tarsus. Amen. He truly is one of the forgotten heroes of the Christian church. It took courage for Ananias to show kindness to Saul, and it is not difficult to imagine that some may have been critical to the gesture. Are you, like Ananias, ready to give your hand of welcome to those whom the Lord has converted, no matter what the past may include? Let's pray.